Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. So glad that you're here. Hope you've received a blessing already through the time of worship. Return with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be today. Ephesians 6, looking at verses 10 through 17. Can I just say that when we're going through this book of Ephesians, man, I feel I've been waiting for this message, for this passage for a long time. Today we're talking about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. You know, sometimes we make jokes as a church family when we're going through a book of the Bible for a long time. If you didn't know, we've been going through the book of Ephesians since Easter. And a lot of times we'll, we'll make jokes like, man, I, I'm so ready to be out of Ephesians or, you know, can we go somewhere else? You know, just things like that. And so I think the first word of our passage today in uh, verse 10 can be something we can all say together as we're nearing the end of this study together. Y'all see that word on the screen in verse 10? What's that first word? All God's people said, finally, finally. That's right. Let's read together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, and we thank you for, for this, this ending to Ephesians, Paul offering and telling us of, of the power that is ours in Christ to put on the armor of God. God, I pray would you guide us into your truth? Would you protect us from error and misunderstanding? God, I pray that you would show us today that it is possible to live a life that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I don't know why we're so excited to study a passage like this today, but this is one of Paul's most famous passages in any of his letters. We put Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 up there with passages like Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why do we like passages like this? I believe it's because they tie spiritual truth to something we can touch and we can see, we can imagine, right? When we talk about things like how you can have peace in your life, that's an intangible reality that we're talking about, something hard to really picture. But when Paul says it's like fruit, as, as the Spirit's inside of you, you're, you're producing something in your life like a tree produces fruit, we, we start understanding. And I think that's why we like passages like this. And if you're like me, you've heard messages on this. You've done a six-week Bible study on each part of the armor. It's just a very familiar text. And studying this week, I think I realized that I was familiar with the story or I was familiar with the idea of the armor of God, but I was not familiar with the text. Did you know that there can be a difference that we could hear a story growing up on a certain passage and be familiar with the story or the concept and be unfamiliar with the text. I see this a lot with students, right? We'll read uh, the story of David and Goliath and they'll go, wait, David cut off Goliath's head? 
They knew the story, but they didn't know the text. And so as today, as I was studying, or this week as I was studying Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, I, I realized this isn't just about putting on some armor. This is the end of Paul's letters. He's been telling the gospel changes everything, and his final call is for us to be faithful. This isn't just about putting on some armor so that we look like Christ. We put on the armor for a specific reason, and that is that we live a faithful life. I want you to just see this thread that's just woven throughout this passage. Look at verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14, Stand firm, therefore, and then he goes into the different aspects of the armor of God. What is this passage about? It's about living a faithful life for Christ. In fact, the title of the message this morning is how to live a faithful life. What does it mean to be faithful? It means to remain loyal or steadfast. And we first think of the quality of faithfulness in the context of marriage, that we're called to be faithful to our vows, to our wives, that I'm supposed to be faithful to Olivia. But what is faithfulness in every other area of our life? And why is that so important? Church, we look at our world today and in many areas, whether the workplace or in the home, we see a famine of faithfulness. We're not operating as a world from a surplus of faithfulness. It's not the norm to hear of people who are living lives of discipline, dedication, unwavering commitment to the kingdom of God. This isn't the norm. No, we live in a world where we hear about parents leaving their kids, husbands leaving their wives, churches crumbling instead of fulfilling the mission, and employees embezzling instead of being faithful. Paul is calling us to the gospel reality that, our, that Christ's power is ours in the gospel. And it is a transforming and empowering thing so that we can live faithfully for him. He's saying that the transforming work of the gospel has to translate into a faithful life lived. And I wonder, what is the goal of your life? What are you aiming for? What are you striving for in your life? Some of us set up goals, whether it's an education goal of, I want to get this degree, I want to get into this job, to become something. But when you become it, are you sitting there saying, okay, I've done it, but the real work starts now to be faithful to the end. And faithful is a lofty goal because faithfulness implies perfection. The term faithfulness, am I faithful at all? And so when we start thinking about the concept of faithfulness, we recognize that I cannot live a life of spiritual faithfulness before the Father on my own. And Paul gives us the solution to that dilemma. He says, take up the armor of God so that you can stand firm. It's interesting that Paul ends his letter this way. In fact, we see other biblical leaders in their letters or their time with people this way. Moses had led the people out of Israel. He had taken them through the wilderness and he did not go into the promised land. But he gave speeches at the edge of the Jordan River right before the Israelites went into the promised land. And he called the Israelites again and again in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm not going to be with you any longer. Here's kind of coming the end of our time. I need you to be faithful because I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to be here to lead you. You need to stay close to the shepherd. So in this passage today, y'all see four answers to the question of how do I live a faithful life. 
How do I live a faithful life? First thing I see in this passage, y'all, is in verse 10, that I need to trade my weakness for Christ's strength. I need to trade my weakness for Christ's strength. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul is describing in this passage that we are in a fight. We are in a spiritual battle and my power, my strength is not going to be enough to do this. And so he says, step one of living a faithful life is to recognize where you're overcoming power is going to come from. Where is our victory going to come from? It's going to be coming from standing strong in Christ. Now I'm going to speak specifically to the guys for a minute. How unnatural is it to operate as my strength not coming from me? Isn't that the goal, guys, of us to have strength within ourselves in a certain area, to be strong enough, to be independent enough, so I don't have to rely on anybody or anything. I am the one who is strong. It's so unnatural to give strength to God or to say, Lord, I need you to be my strength. Church, I want you to hear me. It's unnatural, but it is biblical. And it is the only answer for our victory. We see again and again in the Bible, God show up and God do amazing things in people's lives when they recognize that they are weak and they need Christ to be their strength, that they've, they've bankrupted their strength and they need God to come in and do something miraculous. I wanna give you just four passages, four instances that we see this in the Bible. Second Chronicles 20 verse 12, King Jehoshaphat is freaking out because three separate nations have teamed up together to attack Israel. And this is is what he says. He prays to the Lord. He says, Lord, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's powerful. Imagine looking out as a military leader and seeing three armies against your one and knowing there's no way you can overcome. There's no way you can have the victory. He responds the way we should respond in every moment of our lives. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Lord, I'm weak. I don't have enough strength, but I know you do. So I look to you, trading my weakness for Christ's strength. Two more examples that we see in the book of Psalms. And I think we, we think of King David as someone who understood this, the one who rejected Saul's armor in favor of a sling, some stones in the name of our Lord. This is what he says, Psalm 20, verse seven. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Trading our weaknesses for Christ's strength. It's Psalm 121, one and two. This is a passage that my wife ministers to me. She will quote it to me all the time. She says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then finally, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, verse 31, he tells us how to gain strength. He says this, he says, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. The biblical mindset is to recognize that I'm too weak to live a faithful life. Only Christ can do this. Lord, I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you. And so I just wanna put this out to you as graciously as I can to say, what if the reason you've been walking in defeat in your life is because you haven't understood the truth that you can't gain the victory, God gives the victory. And that he would rather us depend on him than be victorious in life. And he will allow us to walk in defeat 
if we're trusting in ourselves so that we will run to him as a source of our victory. We sing a song as a church, y'all, called Battle Belongs, declaring that we fight differently as a church, that we don't fight a physical battle like the world fights. What does the chorus say? It says, so when I'll fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Church, are we really operating this way? We've sung it together. We've declared it as a church. The battle is his. It's not mine. He's going to be the source of victory. So when I fight, I fight on my knees. We fight differently than the church or than the world, excuse me, as the church. So my goal is not to gain enough strength to gain the victory. My goal is to walk through life as close to the shepherd as possible because there is my victory. What kind of strength does God have? What kind of power does he have? What, what, do we, what would we point to and say, this power for your situation? We measure his power by the resurrection church. The darkest moment in history, our God bleeding out on a tree, suffocating for the sins of our sins, and yet he was, he was dead. Good Friday is not a good end of the story. How can God turn that around? By the power of God, Jesus rose from the grave. He has a resurrecting power. He has a transforming power. And how do I know he has enough power for your life? Because he rose Christ Jesus from the dead. And Paul declared in Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's a correlation here. If Christ has been given new life, if he has resurrecting power and the spirit is in you, the same power lives in you. Church, the enemy's gonna make us feel so powerless when we're walking defeat. You're an addict. You've done too much to gain the victory. You cannot overcome. And there is a hint of truth in that. But y'all, Christ says no. He says, I have the power to raise the dead and I can turn any situation around. I can redeem any situation. We often cite Genesis 48 when Joseph stood before his brothers and said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And how broken that situation was. Y'all, that situation was just a preview. It was just a trailer to what would happen on the cross and through the resurrection. We measure the power of God by the resurrection. He has enough strength for your life. So we have to trade our weaknesses for Christ's strength. Secondly, y'all, in this passage, I see that we need to fight the right enemy. How do I live a faithful life? I need to trade my weaknesses for Christ's strength, and I also need to fight the right enemy. Notice verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That I am in a fight, and I'm spiritually weak. He is my spiritual strength. And we fight on a spiritual plane. We fight a spiritual battle. This is so hard for us to understand because I don't operate in the spiritual. I'm a physical being. And so life plays out in the physical realm. But Satan has got us right where he wants us if we're fighting against one another. And the goal of spiritual warfare is to fight spiritual battles to redeem people. That's the goal of spiritual warfare, to fight a spiritual battle to redeem people. But instead, we fight physically, and it results in human casualties. And that's exactly where Satan wants us to be. You know, Paul did this so well in Acts chapter 16. He's walking through the city of Philippi, and there's a girl who's demon-possessed there, and she starts giving him trouble. 
And think about how Paul's seeing that situation. He's, he's, he's playing out physically. He, he's walking down the street and this girl starts giving him trouble. And he, he doesn't see that as a physical fight. He could have rebuked the girl. We're told he rebukes the spirit within her. Church, can we operate in that? When somebody hurts us, can we see that as I need to fight this spiritually? And that's gonna result in fighting against Satan and demonic forces and pursuing that person with redemption. This is the foundation of forgiveness, that that person that you're sitting across from, that person you're in conflict with is not the enemy. You ever been in a conflict with somebody talking through something and then they just use spiritual warfare as like one reason? They're like, well, we can't figure this out. It's just spiritual warfare. Y'all, spiritual warfare shouldn't just be one reason for why we can't resolve the conflict. It should shape how we see every conflict. That our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against spiritual forces. I need to fight with spiritual armor, but I need to recognize that the goal of spiritual warfare is to redeem people not hurt people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And this is so hard for us to see, but can we have the eyes of God when we come into these types of conflicts? Thirdly, y'all, we need to put on Christ's likeness. We need to trade our weakness for Christ's strength. We need to, we need, I'm sorry, the second one, we need to fight the right enemy. And third, we need to put on Christ's likeness. And this is what we see in the uh, armor of God. I need spiritual strength for a spiritual fight. I need spiritual armor. I need the armor that, that God can only give. Have you ever heard somebody teach this before? A pastor, Sunday school teacher, whatever. And they would say, they would go through each one of the armors and say, okay, so truth is like a belt because it keeps your pants up. And if you don't tell the truth, you'll get exposed, like your pants fall on the ground. And then they tie in liar, liar, pants on fire, because that's in the book of Judges. You know, and, and they tried to say, okay, the reason this character quality is tied to this piece of armor is because of the function of the armor. We're not going to do that today. And here's why. That's a type of interpretation called allegory. And what it says is that when Paul sat down and wrote this, I know his hidden meaning of this passage. And it's dangerous because maybe you do know exactly what Paul was thinking, but you probably don't. And we got to actually, instead of letting our ideas interpret the Bible, we got to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And so I want to show you exactly what Paul was doing here when he lists out the armor of God. Can I show you? And I can show you with scripture what he's doing here because Paul did not come up with the imagery of the armor of God. Did you know that? We don't see this armor for the first time in the book of Ephesians. It's actually in the book of Isaiah. Of the six pieces of armor listed in the book of Ephesians, four of them are explicitly referenced in the book of Isaiah. One is implicitly referenced and the other one is added by Paul. So let's walk through these together. I wanna to show you the ties, how Paul is calling the readers back to the book of Isaiah when he lists this armor. First, the belt of truth, starting in verse 14. He says, stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth. This is a reference to Isaiah 11, verse five, where he said, the prophet writing, he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. I'm gonna skip the breastplate of righteousness and come back to it in just a second. You'll see why. But verse 15 tells us about the shoes of peace. Verse 15, and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace is a reference to Isaiah 52 verse seven. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. 
The reason I skipped the breastplate of righteousness is because it is listed in the same verse as the helmet of Isaiah in, in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah 59, 17. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Four of these pieces of armor are explicit references from the book of Isaiah. I said that the other two are a little bit iffy. Let me show you this. The sword of the spirit is not explicitly mentioned, but there are two references to it in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, a prophet speaking the word of God. So he is being used as an offensive weapon on behalf of God for the nation of Israel. He said, he made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. How did Isaiah see himself? He saw himself being used as the sword of the spirit in this instance as he pronounced judgment over Israel. And then Isaiah eleven four. listen about God's word. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. God's word is a great offensive weapon. But the one that Paul kind of adds is verse 16 the shield of faith. And notice how it's written in here. It's written differently. than It says, in addition to all, in addition to the ones that Isaiah told us about, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So Paul's calling us back and then he calls us to have faith as well, which you think is an enormous theme that we've seen throughout Paul's letters. Romans 4, he's telling us the righteous man lives by faith, looking back to the sacrifice of Christ, right? Even in Ephesians 2, he said, we are saved by grace through faith. He saw, he saw the shield of faith as the thing we cling to for our confidence in who Christ is. It's interesting. I was reading through the book of First Timothy this week, and I, I don't even have the, the right verse, but Paul just said to Timothy, cling to your faith. And I was thinking about the shield of faith and that just cling to it, hold on to it, right? You're being pummeled by dark arrows of the enemy. Cling to it, hold on to it, hide behind your faith. It is your rock. It is your refuge in the character of God. So how should we understand the armor of God as a reference to what Isaiah was talking about? I want, I want to read again the belt of truth. Who is, who is Isaiah talking about here when he tells us, he says, he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And then again, the breastplate of righteousness. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Who is this character that Isaiah is telling us about? Someone who would come in the future, who would wear this armor and would fight a spiritual battle, would win a spiritual battle for the nation of Israel. Y'all, he's talking about Jesus here God's called out a nation for himself, a people to be faithful to him. He gave them the law. And again and again, the Israelites were unfaithful. They didn't stand firm. They fell short of the glory of God. And God pronounces judgment to them in the book of Isaiah. But he says, there is one who is coming and he is going to wear this armor. He will be full of truth and he will win a spiritual victory for us. John tells us in John 1, he found the one who wore the belt of truth. He says, and the word became flesh. We saw his glory as begotten of the father, full of grace and full of truth. We found the one who won the armor and secured the victory for us. So how should we understand the armor of God? Church, we should understand this armor as fulfilled prophecy, secured victory, 
available to you today. That the armor of God was first prophecy that we had been unfaithful and God was sending Jesus to wear this armor and to win the victory. And he did it. And Paul is declaring, y'all, you can be faithful because Christ first wore the armor and he's offering it to you. It's incredible. D.A. Carson says that the main message of the book of Ephesians is that the Messiah has ascended Mount Zion in a triumphal march, defeating his enemies and God's people, that's us, share in that triumph. Now Paul urges his readers to defend the position that the Messiah has won for them by putting on the armor of God and standing firm. This is our mindset. I am weak. He is strong. I've been fighting the wrong enemy. I'm fighting people. No, Christ calls us out as the church not to fight against people, but to take on spiritual forces. I can't do that. I've been unfaithful. Praise God for the good news of the gospel. Christ wore the armor. He has been faithful and he gives it to you today. Church, you've been empowered. He offers you his armor to take up, to fight the fight that he's calling us to fight. And so we got to be faithful. So how do I live a faithful life? Fourthly and finally, y'all, I want us to celebrate faithfulness. I want this to be a goal for your life, your spiritual journey, and for this church. I think it was maybe 18 months ago, I was halfway through my master's program. And I was taking summer classes. Who here loves summer classes? That's what I thought. No fun at all. I'm at the beach with my family and they're all down at the beach and I'm up at the house writing a paper. And I just had this academic block. Have you ever had this before where you're like, I don't wanna take another class. I don't wanna take another test. I don't wanna be done with this anymore. And I couldn't really see the light at the end of the tunnel because I was halfway. I knew I had a long way to go. And I was reading through the book of Ecclesiastes and I believe that God had me in the book of Ecclesiastes for Ecclesiastes 7, 8. And I wanna read this verse to you. The end of a thing is better than its beginning and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Let me read that one more time. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. And to apply that to that, my situation of schooling, which I know is kind of a lighthearted example, you guys know how we, sometimes we post on social media, I got into my program, and we celebrate that, which that's, that's good. That's something to celebrate. But what is the greater thing, getting into the program or graduation? Graduation is the greater thing. There's other areas of our life, I was thinking about this. We celebrate the beginning of a marriage, Right? We invite all of our friends, we dress up, we say our vows, we eat food, we dance. It's a great time. But what is the greater thing, the beginning of the marriage or when that couple has been faithfully together over the years and they're holding hands in a hospital bed and one of them goes on to be with the Lord? What's the greater thing, the wedding day or that declaration of faithfulness? The end of the thing is better than the beginning. And when I hear that, y'all, I see my unfaithfulness. 
And I have a hard time believing Ecclesiastes 7, 8, that the end can be better than where I am right now because I've done too much. I've been hurt. I took off the armor of God. I just when it was vulnerable and I fell. So how can the end be better? Church, I just want to tell you, the God who secured your victory and salvation has also secured your end. And if you are in Christ, he's already won the war. You may lose some battles along the way, but he has secured your victory and he will see you to the end. If you're in Christ, I know your end. It's Jesus coming back and establishing a new heaven and a new earth, and he will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no longer any pain, and he will make all things new. And that's not my victory. That's not your victory. It's not based on my faithfulness. It's on the faithfulness of Christ. I have been unfaithful, and again and again he shows up, y'all, and he is faithful when we are unfaithful. So to the unfaithful here today, I think that's all of us. I want you to know Christ's ending, his reward is yours. He secured that for you, not because you're great or because you're awesome, but because the Son of God was killed on a cross for your sin. He paid for it. John chapter 1 says, He, whoever receives him, has the right to become a child of God. So if we're unfaithful, he will be faithful. To the hurt person this morning, I wonder if there's somebody here today and you just, you feel hurt. There's a wound in your life and you feel like the armor of God should have covered that and it didn't. I want, I want to tell you that the God who has resurrection power can heal you. He has secured the victory. He has secured your end. And we have got to trust him. What do I do when I'm unfaithful? I fall on my face before him. I repent. I say, God, I rejected your armor. I tried to be strong on my own and it didn't work out. Father, I need you. I want to trade my weakness. I'm finally at the place where I'm willing to trade my weakness for your strength. Church, when, when I trade my weakness for his strength, I need to cha- trade my agenda for his agenda. There's some other things we got to trade. I need to change, trade my desires for his desires in that as well. And so, so maybe some of us have been hurt because we weren't wearing the armor. And Christ says again and again, come to me and I'll give that to you. And then finally, maybe if some of us this morning, we, we've been fighting the wrong enemy. We haven't seen this as a spiritual struggle. And so we've, we, we, we've, we've done some things that have resulted in human carnage. Church, the God who can resurrect your life can resurrect community. He can heal that. And so when I've been unfaithful, when I've hurt somebody, when I've been hurt myself, I put on the armor again and I praise God that he has secured my victory. There's nothing I can do to thwart that. I'm just called to be his child and to walk in faithfulness to him. Praise God, though, it doesn't rest on me. He's done the work. And so how do we respond? How do we respond to the God who secured my victory, secured my end, and empowered me in the meantime? We respond in worship. And so I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come up. And we're going to sing one more song. Because I want us to have a time to respond. To acknowledge that he has done the work and that we, so we respond in worship. So we're going to sing What a Beautiful Name. And there's one part of that song that, that the reason I chose that song was for the bridge part. 
It says, you have no rival. You have no equal. So how do you see your situation? How do you see spiritual warfare right now? Do you recognize that the power that is for you is greater than the power that's against you? And can we declare and get it right? His power is greater. And I'm gonna stick with him because he has no rival. He has no equal. Let's pray together. Father God, you are, you are so worthy to be Lord of our lives. God, it's so incredible to see that, that you give us this armor. God, you give us your character as a defense against the enemy. Lord, and when I feel shame, God, when I feel defeat, you have overcome the world. And so, Father, I pray we would be a church living in that reality, stopping to believe the lies of Satan that we're walking in defeat. God, would you give us the strength to fight this battle, not just for us, but so that we would connect other people to Jesus, that we would gain ground for your kingdom, we would advance your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that just today is a start, first step, we would just respond in worship, say what a powerful name is the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this people. I thank you for this time. Lord, be glorified as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.